Hello and welcome to Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. Lenin's classic book, The State and Revolution, is a must-read for all who want to get a firm understanding of how the state works. How do socialists approach complex issues like the police? How can the working class take state power? And what do we need to make that happen? In this episode, our regular host, Tom and Connor, will be joined by Sophia from Socialist Alternative in Leicester. Over to you three. Okay, so we're here today with Sophia, who's a member of Socialist Alternative's National Committee. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Connor. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And also uh, Tom, one of our regular hosts. Hi, Connor. Hi, Sophia. Today we're talking about Lenin's classic text, The State and Revolution, and I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion. It's a really crucial text for, for Marxists and has been super influential throughout the history of our movement. And Lenin wrote The State and Revolution. It came out in 1917, basically in the middle of the Russian Revolution, which Lenin was one of the leaders of, which I think some people think seems a little bit strange, you know, why in the middle of this revolutionary situation, this revolutionary movement, did Lenin decide that it was important to sit down and write a book about the Marxist theory of the state? Yeah, so I think it's really important to emphasise that it's not just theory. Like, I think it can sound a bit like that. It's like, oh, yeah, the idea of what the state is and, and all of these things. But, you know, yeah, obviously the fact that he's sitting down and writing this at the dawn of the, of the October Revolution kind of indicates that it has a lot of practical implications. The, the questions that he brings up are actually really fundamental. I think the important thing about it is situating these uh, ideas within the context of Marxist understanding of society and what's going on. So these ideas actually fit together and flow from one another. And that's their strength. You know, they're based on a kind of scientific approach um, and observations of society, economy, politics and so on. And then this leads Marx Engels, Lenin, to the kind of more theoretical conclusions that then feed into these more practical questions, if that makes sense. Lenin's point is that Kautsky and so on are kind of cherry-picking these like supposedly Marxist ideas, but taking them out of context and whether they do it willfully or not, kind of misrepresenting what they're trying to get at, trying to make it fit their own ideas, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that's, that's why it's important to have conversations like we're having today where we do our best to understand these ideas and how they fit into this bigger framework and how they apply today, because ultimately it is about what we do with these ideas, how they inform our actions today as socialists uh, and how they can help us take the struggle forward. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely you know correct what um, Sophia uh, is saying there. Um, I, th- I think one of the, the key things is, like, like Sophia's saying, this isn't just a kind of uh, academic topic and it's not something that Marxists should read just for the sake of going oh I've read State and Revolution by Lenin it does have real kind of practical uses for socialists today but I think the key point as well is that when Lenin wrote this book he wasn't writing it just as an expression of some good ideas that he'd heard or some good ideas that he had of course they are good ideas but it was fully within the context 
of the world that Lenin lived in at the time. Lenin was not living in Russia, for example, at the time that he actually wrote it. He was living um, in exile. You know, he'd been a, a participant in the in the kind of um, in the strike movements, in the revolutionary movements in Tsarist Russia uh, before 1917, when the when the book was uh, written and uh, and published. But he was writing it from a different country and was witnessing uh, or reading about the developing kind of revolutionary situation in Russia and observed on the basis of that. And he, he starts off this book, State and Revolution, by making this point that these events were going to prove that the question of the state and how socialists relate to that question was going to be really, uh, really decisive. For that reason, I guess his point is that he's not writing this book for the sake of it. It's about introducing a level of sharpness in terms of how the state can be understood by Marxists. Um, and, you know, Sophia mentioned uh, the example of Kautsky. Now, Kautsky was, um, you know, full name Karl Kautsky. He was the kind of chief theoretical leader of the Second International at the time, which was the kind of international grouping of uh, of, of, uh, of of sort of social democratic and workers' parties um, across Europe and, uh, and elsewhere. And... It was one of those things where Kautsky very much cloaked his ideas in being Marxist ideas. You know, he was referred to in his life as being, um, the, the, they called him the Pope of Marxism because of how much uh, he was kind of perceived as holding to that kind of Marxist position. But he was looking at how Kautsky was beginning to kind of vulgarise Marxism and turn Marxism into this very dogmatic way of thinking that, that gutted it of its revolutionary um, content. Uh, and there's a, a great quote from Lenin, which, you know, I, I, I do think it kind of merits me reading it out a little bit, um, reading the full thing, because it does give a good example of what had happened to the ideas of Marxism at the time and why he had to restate these fundamental revolutionary ideas. Lenin said, during the lifetime of great revolutionaries, by which he means Marx and Engels, the oppressing classes constantly hounded them, received their theories with the most savage malice, the most furious hatred and the most unscrupulous campaigns of lies and slander. After their death, attempts are made to convert them into harmless icons, to canonise them, so to say, and, uh, and hallow their names to a certain extent, for the consolation of the oppressed classes, and with the object of duping the latter, while at the same time robbing the revolutionary theory of its substance, blunting its revolutionary edge and vulgarising it. In other words, turning Marxism into its opposite, what it was actually meant to be, and his idea was you know not to say anything new necessarily you know a big chunk of the book is just quotes from Marx and Engels and I guess that was kind of the point with Lenin it was these these are the ideas uh, that still remain relevant today and almost having to defend them against these uh, attempts to kind of uh, undo it you know undo the progress that was made by people like Marx and Engels. Yeah, I think this point that Marxism, the, the name Marxism was being used and the idea of Marx as being used uh, essentially, yeah, for kind of pretty much diverting the revolution into kind of safer channels for capitalism is, is one of the key things that Lenin's trying to point out and argue against because there was this huge war going on, attacks on working class people. And Marxism, which is meant to be a tool for fighting back against that, was, uh, you know, kind of basically being used to justify these things. And at the same time, there was this whole revolutionary wave that was clearly about to happen, especially in Russia, but across Europe. And these ideas, the genuine ideas of Marxism, these kind of revolutionary ideas that we talk about on this podcast, you know, were the tools that were needed. 
Yeah. Uh, he addresses like a, a kind of set of questions and some of them are kind of maybe a bit more relevant to us today and others feel a bit further kind of removed from our uh, immediate uh, tasks, if that makes sense. Like what, what the role of the state is and how it came about. How do we as socialists approach the state apparatus? So that might be, you know, parliamentary politics or the courts or the police and so on, uh, the bureaucracy. And also very pressing for Lenin at the time, what will we do with the state if and when uh, we, we being the, like the proletariat, the working class, take control of it? Because that was, you know, the point that they were getting towards uh, at the, you know, at the eve of the Russian Revolution. And then again, like what will happen to the state in the longer term under socialism, where he discusses about this idea of the state withering away versus the idea of abolishing the state versus the idea of, you know, turning it into something that can benefit the workers uh, in that revolutionary situation. You know, we're seeing the working class today, like, repeatedly repeatedly let down by their uh, representatives, supposed representatives, you know, even the, the ones that are supposedly on the left. And I think it is really important to put forward an explanation um, as to why that's happening, you know, as socialists, uh, but also show people what the alternative is. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's really important today as well. There's a, a huge amount there already for us to really think about on this topic but i mean one question that will be on the minds i guess of a lot of people that are listening to this podcast is well we're saying a lot about what lenin said marx and engels said about the state what did marx and engels actually say though you know what are the ideas of marxism how do marxists um, understand how it works and how it functions i think that's a really important thing to probably establish uh in this discussion. Um, I mean, what Marx and Engels said about the state was firstly, not just kind of abstract theorising. Again, this was stuff that was based on the experience that they had and the lessons that the the movement as a whole was learning through struggle as it came up against the state and that sort of thing. And uh, also kind of linking that with looking at the history of society where the state, you know, began uh, because it didn't always exist. And Ultimately, the conclusion that they pointed out was that the state emerges um, in history when there's these irreconcilable class differences where the majority in society need to be basically kept in check, ultimately by force, to keep that society running, to keep a wealthy minority in power. Uh, but the other thing that they that they pointed out is that the state doesn't like nakedly just say that you know the state at the moment doesn't call itself the committee for the defense of billionaires does it uh, it's actually much more stable when a state calls itself maybe divinely ordained or it's got a limited level of democratic rights and it kind of paints itself as this arbiter between uh, all the classes in society and that sort of thing and uh, i think that's kind of the, the the core of what marx and engels would have said about the state what what lenin's trying to kind of point out in this um because that's really not the way uh, the state was being discussed. It was being discussed like this kind of arbiter uh, between the classes, this neutral body. And, uh, if, you know, uh, the point Lenin goes on to make is that that's actually, you know, very dangerous kind of uh, uh, kind of mistake to make, actually, for, for socialists. And I was thinking about, I think, I think it's especially in, like, US politics is a really, like, big question, like, where there's... The idea that small states, that's um, the kind of libertarians and conservatives want smaller state and then bigger state is what the kind of liberals or like kind of quote unquote left wing politicians or, or 
uh, yeah, people in general would want. But it's really kind of a forced dichotomy. And I think, yeah, like this, this idea that the state is liberal or even like a left institution um, that or like as, as Lenin uh, and Marx and Engels discusses like this idea that it's uh, impartial or, or like it's that it's there to just kind of protect the people against unregulated capitalism and so on. Uh, well, I mean uh, there's some truth to that like uh, there is part of the role of the state is to kind of save capitalism from itself but Ultimately, I think I think Lenin does a really good job in cutting across this kind of, I guess, this kind of lesser evilism, uh, but like in a really nuanced way as well, um, saying, you know, both that the state is ultimately there to protect the ruling class and therefore we must oppose the state. But on the other hand, we can't just say, like, let's get rid of the state because we will also need our own state when we take power uh, in that transitional period uh, to stay in power. And it's only once we've established a truly kind of socialist communist society that the state will wither away. And I think it's also important to say that we're not saying that the state can never be made to do positive things for the working class, uh, though this is generally, you know, under the pressure from the working class. People do rely on the police to to help them when they are uh, exposed to violence uh, and so on. But then on the other hand, we do see (laughs) examples of the police committing violence against members of the working class so it's you know it's 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 a complicated picture it's really important to to just emphasize that ultimately the state is not on our side things like legislation etc it's really not enough and lenin kind of touches on on these things as well like it's it's also about who enacts these laws uh, how is it upheld one example that kind of sprang to mind is with the with the texas abortion ban if I can go into that, you know, I think firstly it poses the question of the abortion right to abortion to start with, how that was won, because it wasn't from the kind of kindness of the state uh, doing what was right. It was after years of struggle by the feminist movement, uh, mass strikes, protests, occupations and so on. And and even then, you know, these gains are never permanent. And and this ban in Texas is is making their point very clear. But even in that interim, when abortions were supposedly legal, it was in reality really hard to get an abortion in Texas. Just the cost of healthcare in the US means it's just very, very expensive, um, especially if you know working class. And you know a lot of these laws kind of apply differently to the working class and the ruling class just on the basis of that. Um, also, the fact that there were just very few clinics where we actually could get an abortion. Uh, this is, you know, just one example. One thing that also I think encapsulates it really well is the slogan slogan used by the movement around BLM and gender violence that we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, pointing out that you can get ten years imprisonment for defacing a statue, but only five for rape. These events, uh, these protests have shown a new generation of, of activists uh, that the state isn't a friend of the working class uh, in its response to them as well. It reminds me of that quote, I think, from Rosa Luxemburg, actually, where she says about, you know, those who don't move don't notice their chains. Actually, when we do start moving, we start noticing these chains, the kind of institutions we're up against, the police, the courts or whatever. And these questions, yeah, they do become clear, don't they? Yeah, those are some really good examples um, that I think Sophia has given that really kind of underscore how, yeah, this isn't just a theory. This is a very living thing that Marxists can understand in terms of uh, in terms of today's world. And I think that's particularly true 
when we look at the world situation, you know. So, for example, uh, it's certainly true what we said before, that at least in Britain, we're not in the midst right at this very moment of a, of a revolutionary situation. But, of course, things change um, very quickly. You know, the world globally is kind of uh, defined by... On the one hand, forces of revolution certainly. You know, we've just seen the uh, you know the mass uprising taking place um, in Kazakhstan, for example, uh, along with many other uprisings of a very similar character. Uh, but then counter-revolution. You know, the forces um, of the ruling class of capitalism, uh, of dictatorship, of uh, of authoritarian regimes uh, pushing back uh, in the opposite direction. So you know, the, all of these examples are a perfect illustration, I think, of how. You know, the revolution and counter-revolution didn't begin and end in Russia in 1917. It's it's an ongoing feature of capitalism. Um, but if, if I could just dial it back to the point that has been made previously about how Marx and Engels talked about the state as an expression of what they called like a, a manifestation of the uh, of, of irreconcilable class antagonisms, which which is quite like a quite a wordy way of putting it. In other words, you know what that really means. I think in more um, kind of day to day language is it's what happens when you've got two classes that are up against each other's throats with different interests. You know, the working class, its interest being to to survive under this system uh, and to create a system that can allow us to survive as a class. And then the interests of the ruling class, their interest being to exploit, um, to divide, to make profits and essentially to, to, you know, try and blow away anything that will stand in their way um, in doing that. And as a result, you definitely need as an exploiting class to set up almost like a machinery that can almost like do the dirty work for you as a as an exploiting class and that's why marx and engels referred to the state as a um, special bodies um of armed men uh, and of course you know that would uh, that would count women today they didn't count women at the time and that is really significant i think because it relates to um something that we have to compare it to and that is a reformist um idea of what the state is reformism in many ways uh will say that the state kind of as has been said sits above class you know it's independent of class uh it does its own thing it's you know it, it's it's empty of all um you know class content so often often very sincere reformists will put forward the idea that you can just kind of elect um, a left government and then automatically the machinery of the state comes into the possession of the working class ready-made you know it just sort of falls into the lap of the working class well we have to sometimes spell out that that's actually quite a dangerous idea because it's not like if you elect a government that can take certain measures then all of a sudden uh, we have the army we have the police under our control i mean you know we can only look all of the different laws, all the different bits of legislation that have been pushed through over over not not just decades but centuries that have really geared the state under capitalism to be contrary to the interests um, of the working class. And, you know, the examples of Texas abortion ban of, of BLM and the role that the police played under BLM uh, are perfect um, examples. But also, I think one example that is really worth pointing attention towards is trade unions, the right of workers to organise, to go on strike, to demonstrate and so on. If you are a worker in a workplace that, that wants to exercise your right 
um, to strike and to and to push an employer to to meet your demands. There are so many legal barriers to you doing that in Britain um, at this point in time. And one example of that would be, you know, um, recently uh, in in Manchester, where where I'm based, there were uh, bus drivers in in North Manchester who were going on strike um, through Unite the Union, and when the employer first introduced um you know the these policies that repressed wages cut sick pay just essentially made life harder um for the working class you know they didn't send in the police to arrest the owners of the company that were going to make a profit from it but then when the workers go out on strike and they have pickets of more than six people immediately the police come in and that really shows you know in whose interest um does it actually uh does it actually serve and this comes up really really yeah, really urgently for our own activists, for our own members, um, an international socialist alternative, because, you know, we have countries around the world where we've had members be arrested for, you know, doing the most basic, exercising the most basic democratic rights, protesting, um, taking part in strikes, um, you know, uh, even just kind of organising discussions and meetings. You know, one country, for example, would be uh, would be Russia, for example, where our, our members in ISA in Russia have faced quite a lot of state repression. Uh, and I guess this underst- underscores all this thing that it's actually a burning necessity to get a good handle on what the nature of the state is. Uh, because, for example, when those arrests took place in Russia, we didn't just say, oh, well, the state is independent of class, so, you know, eventually they'll let them go. No, we organised a solidarity campaign and we organised outside uh, embassies to really uh, force that issue uh, onto the agenda. Uh, and that's precisely because we understood that the state isn't, you know, fundamentally acting in our interests. It requires struggle from below to even achieve the most basic uh, democratic rights, let alone to bring the state as a whole um, under our control uh, as a class. Obviously, Lenin is, you know, actually in this revolutionary situation, as we were saying. Um, and, uh, you know, he kind of talks about what the alternative to this capitalist state might look like. But of course, yeah, um, actually kind of going about trying to construct that. The experience actually of, we've talked about the Paris Commune already uh, in this episode briefly, but also the, the the really rich experience of the Russian Revolution, I think fleshes out a lot of what Lenin's talking about in this pamphlet as well, doesn't it? So Sophia, I'd be interested to know what you think the experience of that revolutionary movement kind of does uh, to tell us about the things Lenin was actually talking about. It's, it is really exciting reading about, like reading texts from this time uh, and, you know, other texts, because obviously this was written just before the, well, the revolution itself, if you want to call, call it that, the October, October insurrection. But yeah, reading accounts of how, in effect, workers were kind of already in power in what the, it's referred to as a, a dual power situation where you had the, uh, the kind of just barely there almost uh, nominal state, which were, yeah, like in, in words, they were in power, but in practice, the workers were actually running things already. And I think that's, uh, it's really inspirational when you when you read about like how it, it was not something that was kind of imposed from above. It was people taking control of their own workplaces and communities. Marx and uh, Engels talk about this in, in relation to the Paris Commune as well and basing it on the experience of that, of what actually happened. Um, but I think also, uh, kind of going back to what Tom was saying a bit um, before, about how we have to 
make our own states. Like we can't necessarily just get rid of the states, but um, but like making one for our own uh, for our own use that fits what we need it for. And I think that was kind of what was happening. Um, and it's and and I think the fact that it's not necessarily about like literally replacing the people. I think you know that needs to be done to to a large extent, but um, but replacing like the structures and how it was done. So um, Lenin talks about um, things like uh, instant recall of of officials um, and uh, workers' representatives being on workers' wages. Um, uh, and so on, and these are things that we fight for today as well. Uh, that we think is really important, and and I think also this idea of of who is running things that that Lenin is talking about, how there was um, during the Paris Commune, like no separation between uh, the kind of well officials or what you want to call them, you know, the, the people who decide what the policies are and so on, and the people who execute them. So actually, having the workers themselves, so the the well what we would say you know like the workers and the people who use the services or like the the, the community are actually the people who decide but also carry out these ideas and you know i think that's a really fundamental uh, difference between how the state functions under capitalism and how we uh, envision it uh, as as working under socialism and you know like i think uh, Lenin kind of shoots down. I, I can't remember who he is arguing against, but but the, the idea that oh we can't know anything about what it would look like under socialism, and he's saying you know yeah we have the example of the Paris Commune that shows shows us like at least like kind of this embryonic worker state, and also based on what we know about what the role of the state is under capitalist society, uh, we can know a fair bit about what it might look like um, under socialist society and how it would. Uh, wither away and so on but I think you know I think it's still we can't know every little detail and you know it's not necessarily our role to just like dogmatically say this is exactly how we're going to run things uh, under socialism but I think those core ideas of how to run society in a in a truly democratic way that actually benefits the majority of the population uh, those are kind of some of the core ideas. Yeah no so so I think that's a good um summary really of of how events actually ended up uh taking place because one thing that i think sometimes gets kind of missed out about uh state and revolution is how many of the predictions that lenin was making in the book were, were totally kind of borne out by reality the the things that he was mapping out about the working class forming its own state power about you know the need to kind of break up the existing uh, capitalist state and 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 by break up um he didn't necessarily mean oh let's get some rocks and throw them um you know at the uh, at, at the buildings or anything like that it was more about breaking up um the the kind of repressive um state apparatus so rather than the authoritarian kind of uh how can you put it um uh, kind of authoritarian repressive structures of the police of the army instead organizing uh, what were referred to kind of as like workers militias you know workers um arming themselves in a but uh, that being under the democratic control of uh, of workers in their factories workers in their, uh, their their housing areas their communities industry being controlled by elected bodies rather than you know uh, profit seeking uh, employers and managers who act in their interests and stuff like that and and that was actually how it began to develop and actually, you know, in many cases through history, after the Russian Revolution, there have been events that have taken place uh, in a very similar way. 
but without that kind of like core ingredient of what was there in Russia, you know, a revolutionary party that could, formed by these ideas, actually direct things in that direction. Uh, but obviously, you know, the, one of the one of the key things is that after the after the Russian Revolution, there was of course um, the rise of Stalinism. Um, you know, the rise of a state that no longer represented uh, what was being talked about by Lenin in State and Revolution. So things like officials on the average salary of a of a skilled worker, the right of recall. So not just kind of electing someone every five years, but being able to kind of truly hold them to account. And there were many reasons why that happened, you know, for example, the isolation of the revolution, you know, the fact that capitalism around the world conspired to try and isolate the revolution uh, and stuff like that. Um, and what that really showed was, you know, as, as much as um, Lenin's ideas were, were very rich at the time, there was also complexity to those uh, ideas and complexity so Lenin kind of actually acknowledged in State and Revolution that you could start seeing the rise of something similar to Stalinism in the sense of what he referred to as a Bonapartism. So in other words, the state being separate from the from the economic base of society and almost just kind of going off and doing its own thing. Um, and of course, that that often happens. Uh, that that's happened under capitalism in the past in the form of fascism. Um, you know, essentially the capitalists, when confronted with such a severe crisis, saying we're just going to let the state take over and essentially manage capitalism for us. But then, in the case of Stalinism, this really repressive um, state uh, state apparatus uh, beginning to form uh, and essentially kind of balancing uh, between the classes. So, in other words, resting on a non-capitalist economy resting on a planned economy, but then doing deals with capitalism uh, abroad for their own kind of bureaucratic privileges. So it, it shows that, you know, the, 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 the state in reality is a very complex thing. Uh, and Marxists un- understand that it's a very complex thing. But at root, it has its origins in which class has the biggest amount of power, which class has the most kind of confidence um, to push forward. And I think actually, as much as State and Revolution was, was, was written before the rise of Stalinism, before the rise of fascism, there's actually some very rich things that we can kind of draw from um, to analyse it with and, and still analyse um, you know, processes taking place in the world today. This is a thing that comes up time and time again, right? Uh, this is this is why Lenin's kind of drawing out these trends. It's because whether it's the Paris Commune or the 1905 revolution in Russia or the Russian Revolution, but countless other things since, you know, we see it, for instance, in places like Tunisia and Sudan, even at the moment uh, in the last few years, when there are these mass revolutionary movements, workers and working class people uh, have to organize to defend themselves, to carry out the movement and organize it. And these kinds of grassroots councils are, are a, you know, a, a recurring theme and actually point towards a situation of, of dual power that, that can develop because it, it becomes increasingly clear that, you know, whether that was in Russia uh, at the time or in any of these movements, that those workers uh, are up against that capitalist state. Um, and ultimately, you know, those those kinds of bodies point towards the fact that workers can run things themselves and for the first time, actually, in the history of uh 
of, of society have a state that's run democratically by the vast majority of people in society. And, uh, you know, that's fundamentally different to what we talk about with the capitalist state. Obviously, it's it's still, you know, a state to an extent. This is a point that Lenin makes because it's there to to uh, kind of defend that that revolution and so on. And that's what the Bolsheviks had to do. We've got an episode, which we'll link in the description, actually, that talks about exactly that. But even even before we talk about this kind of scenario of the state withering away, which, if you read the book, is one of the things Lenin talks about, e- even before the state withers away, which is one of the things that, if you read the book, uh, Lenin's talking about uh, kind of in a post-revolutionary society, um, already you're seeing this form of state that's fundamentally different, fundamentally more democratic, um, and I think that that's you know the the, the the important point to draw out that yeah this this, this kind of workers state uh, is unlike Stalinism like Tom was talking about you know a huge step forward uh, in terms of the rights of uh, the majority of working class people and is also a state that will fight for our interests because it's run by and for us. Well, thanks for coming along and speaking to us today, Sophia. Um, Thanks for hosting with me, Connor. I thought it was a really good episode. I've enjoyed this discussion. Please make sure that you tune in uh, for next month's episode of Revolutionary Ideas and uh, see you then. Thank you. Thanks to our free speakers for this month's episode of Revolutionary Ideas. This is a podcast produced by Socialist Alternative. If you would like to get involved and learn more about joining the struggle for a socialist world, contact us on our platforms. You can join through our website at socialistalternative.net. On Facebook, we are Socialist Alternative ISA England, Wales and Scotland. On Twitter, we are Socialist Alternative EWS. On Instagram, we are at socialistalternative.ews. And last but not least, on TikTok, we are at socialist underscore vids. Until next month, see you soon.